So right after one of our fights, my wife looks over at me and she says, You don't even see me anymore. You're not here, Adam. I don't know where you are or what's going on in your mind, but something needs to change. You don't see me. And when that was said to me, at first I wanted to justify. I wanted to explain that, I, no, I do see you. I'm looking right at you. What are you talking about? I'm here. I'm available. But over time, I learned that availability is not the same thing as being present. And that's what my wife needed. She wanted a present husband. My kids, at one time it was just one. Now I have two. They want a present father. They want someone who understands that there is power in his presence. But my story took that away from me for quite a while. And that's what I want to do today. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my story. Something new. This is I haven't really done this with this audience before. And I thank you for listening. But this story is not about me. It's about you. It's about yourself as a veteran if you've transitioned out of the military. It's about you as a protector, a first responder, someone who maybe you don't feel like you belong anymore ever since you got out of whatever organization you used to belong to. It's about the spouse who feels that they're doing everything wrong and is very discouraged with the person looking back at them who doesn't get really what's going on, but at the same time is trying to fix it, but is running out of patience. You know, it's also about the employer, the employer of that veteran, the employer of that responder to understand the complexities that goes on in their mind, to be able to have a better picture of what does it really look like to step out of the structure of the service? See, today, that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to do it through my story. And I hope and pray that it helps you see the person looking back at you. Whether it's you looking in the mirror or you looking at that man, at that woman, at that person who gave their life to the service of others who fought for freedom but doesn't know how to experience it themselves, this is for them. Welcome to the KO Podcast, hosted by Kingdom Operatives. We are here to select, specialize, and send out leaders into their community. If you are a protector, someone who has a background in military or first responder, and you no longer have that structure, then this is the podcast for you. This is where we turn the hearts of the fathers back to their home. It is time to contend for tomorrow, today, because your legacy is waiting. I'm your host, Adam Jones, and it's an honor to serve you. So everyone knows what it's like to feel trapped in transition. You know, to feel like this next stage of your life, you're so uncomfortable and you're trapped. You're trapped in a holding pattern. You don't really get what's going on next or where this is all leading to. But I will share with you that I think there's something even more extreme about being trapped in transition after stepping out of the service, the structure of the service, the culture of the service, a lifestyle, not a job. You know, I heard recently on a TED Talk where they explained that in corporate America, you're working eight-hour days 
right? In the military, you're working 24-hour days. Often you lose your weekends as well. Overall, five years in the military would equate to 21, 21 years of experience in the corporate world. This is why after 10 years of service, I never felt more lost after taking off my uniform. Because see, it wasn't 10 years of a job. It was 10 years of a life. 10 years of a mindset, of access, access to a community, access to belonging, access to a progression, to a rank, to a title, all of it. I lost access when I took off the uniform, but I didn't realize it then. And I'm sure right now you haven't realized it. This is a complex thing that we must start to pull apart that's happened in our heart and it's affecting our home and absolutely affecting the workplace as well. You know, you leave a lifestyle to join a corporation. You put down a uniform because you say you want to be a, become a more present father, husband, leader, parent. And for me, that was my story. I just wanted to be more present. I wanted to be more available. I felt like my wife gave me everything she had to support me and the dreams that I had for my life. And I started to realize it became a lot more about me than her. So I made my hero decision, my hero moment to put away the uniform, to step out of the service with, yeah, some unmet expectations still. Knowing though that, hey, this is what you do. This is what a husband does. He sacrifices. But see, what I didn't realize was that was just a moment. That was a hero moment. But what about backing that up? What about a lifestyle of decisions that allowed me again to become the hero in the home. See, I didn't, I didn't get that. So at the end of the day, there were all these endorphins of excitement when I stepped out of the service. You know, man, life is going to be so great. I'm going to have freedom. I don't have to wear a uniform anymore. I get to grow a beard. And as you can see, I'm still doing that today. Love being able to have facial hair. That's a game changer. Uh, love being able to choose what I wear. But for a while, I didn't even know what to put on. I didn't understand that your attire communicates something to people, right? If I wanted to only be seen as a soldier, then I would continue to wear soldier things. If I wanted to be seen as a professional in the corporate space, then I'm going to start to dress a little bit different. People needed to teach me this. And honestly, self-awareness needed to grow. But I felt so overwhelmed by all of it. So here's, here's my question to you. You know, you're wandering through life. You're trying to figure it all out. But have you ever figured out really who you are and where you belong in this next stage? Because I definitely didn't. And do you really feel that your best days were your last days? Because I did. You know, I was a Black Hawk pilot. A UH-60 Black Hawk pilot. This was my dream since I was a kid. And I got to do it. I actually became a company commander. That wasn't one of my dreams. I didn't want high levels of leadership, even though I always respected leadership, I wanted to fly more. I wasn't pursuing a progression. After a while, I felt, man, this is, this is amazing. I'm, I'm where I need to be. I know there's other things coming up, but one day I was chosen for company command at 26 years old. So like I said, I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you. So let's go into a little bit of how I was raised. You know, I was born and raised in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. I'm the son of Fred and Becky Jones. My parents had me at a much older age. So I have an older brother and a sister. You know, I saw a lifestyle of hard work, but also I wanted more. And my mom was a bus driver and my dad was a truck driver. 
I was the first person in my you know direct bloodline, I guess you could say, who went to college and really wanted to invest in education. But I didn't do it because I wanted to be educated. I didn't do it because I wanted a degree. I did it because I wanted to fly. I wanted to become an officer. You know, at, in kindergarten, I was already an uncle. It's crazy. Over time, more kids started to show up and I just had to step into positions of leadership as just an uncle alone, right? But what's interesting is at 12 years old, I put on my first uniform. At 12 years old, I joined an organization that I highly recommend to this day for anyone listening called Civil Air Patrol. Civil Air Patrol was an auxiliary and still is an auxiliary of the United States Air Force. So you're not in the Air Force, but you're definitely on track to go down that path, right? And the people I served with back then, it's funny to say served with, because really it was like a club, right? But we did some really cool stuff. Um, They're doing amazing things now. You know, fighter jets and all this cool stuff. But at 12 years old, I put the uniform on and I didn't take it off until I reached, I think it was 29 or 30 years old. A huge part of my life was spent in the uniform, whether it was from Civil Air Patrol or the Army. It just continued. It was just a continual progression. And I was always drawn to leadership. I was always drawn to flying. Civil Air Patrol really taught me leadership at a very young age. I know I kind of downplayed it by saying it's a club, and I also overplayed it by saying I served. But let me bridge that gap for a second. At 16 years old, I learned how to fly by myself. You know, at 15 years old, I was doing search and rescue missions for real people who crashed in the mountains in Pennsylvania. You know, I didn't play football growing up. I flew planes. You know, this was just my life. And I'm sharing this with you, not to talk about me at all, to expose my story, but also to give you a little bit of a uh, picture inside the mind of a protector, inside the decisions we made. You know, I'm not alone in this. A lot of people have chosen paths like this. You know, sure, there's always those people who, man, I don't know what I want to do one day when I grow up, so I'm going to go become a soldier or a Marine. That's awesome, too. But there's still something in the way they think that relates to what I'm sharing with you today. I refuse to accept anything less than the best, right? I always want to make the deepest impact. I'm sure you do as well. You want to make a big impact in the world. You want to make sure that you leave your mark, that your life is not wasted. You know, it's possible that you're someone who people see you as motivated when really maybe you're not as motivated as people think. You're just very drawn to a mission that matters. But over time, you take off that uniform what is that mission? What does that become? What's the mission that matters? You, you go into a corporate place. This was me. You go into corporate places and you start to see a mission on the board that people don't, aren't really living. I remember, you know, coming out of college, I, I chose another untraditional path. When I joined the army at 19 years old, I believe it was actually 18 years old, but 19 years old, I made a switch. I joined the Army National Guard and I started to actually train and drill, not just be in college, but also really be in the Army um, in that way. And I remember, you know, I chose that because I had a really cool career path that I wanted to see through. I wanted to see what was it like to be military, flying aircraft, hopefully, but also to be National Guard where I could have a full-time job. Like I wanted the best of both worlds. So that's what I did. And I just remember, I'm kind of jumping ahead for a second, but I got hired by a company called Booz Allen Hamilton. I was a consultant for them, a senior consultant in a major consulting firm. They're a Fortune 500 company. At one point, they were even better than that. 
And I was doing some really cool work. And I remember one time asking someone about their values, the values of the company. And I just, it was so important to me that people really live the values, right? When they were talking about different aspects of maybe selfless service, like, are you really selfless though? Can you give me an example of selfless service? That's the way protectors think. That's the way veterans think, right? Military members, we, we, we really believe that values matter. We really want a mission that matters. And when you transition out, if you're not seeing that again, it's very discouraging. So for me, um, I became addicted to ambition. You know, like I mentioned, I joined the Guard because I thought the Guard was my best chance at getting aviation, but also I could have both worlds. Oh, I could be a consultant with a suit and tie, but also I could be in a military uniform some days. I want both. I couldn't decide, so I said both. And I got to meet some really great people through that process. There were other times where I'd go full-time military service, and I was on full-time orders working for amazing organizations that I will not share here, but man, did I get to see some cool things and have some great experiences. Um, very untraditional path once again you know, working for firms and agencies and all this cool stuff, being able to really see behind the scenes of creating strategy and policies and um, affecting change on a more national and global level, not just a unit level. That's the type of stuff I got to do as a consultant, but also sometimes full-time army. So I joined the army because I wanted to fly. You know, that's it. Since I was a kid, I remember seeing Black Hawk Down. I was like, I want to do that. And my mom looked at me. She said, <clears throat> you want to you wanna fly Blackhawks, the thing that just got shot down. That's what you want to do. I said, yeah, it is. Blinders on. Eventually, I made it happen. But it's not the story most people think. You know, I didn't get aviation at first. Um, I actually became a military police officer. I was told, hey... No more flight slots right now. Not only that, where you're going to live, it's going to be too far of a drive for you. You're not going to be able to keep up your flight hours. Sorry. Now, see, leading up to that, I did a lot of work. I took tests. I got medical evaluations. I got my eyes fixed and got LASIK. You know, I was committed to this path. And then one day to be told, it's not happening. It, it was weird because I accepted it, but also I couldn't believe it. I mean, you just told me no, and you're the military. I guess it's really a no. I mean, I'm, I'm commissioning in a couple months from Penn State ROTC. This is it. So I became a military police officer, but it was never enough. I was not that positive of a person. Um, I did really well in the officer role, but when I was around my peers, man, I kind of complained a lot. I, I wasn't really happy with the life I was living because this wasn't what I wanted. You know, I wanted to fly. And eventually, as I did well in the leadership side of things, I started to build great relationships, and man, I beat in the door to go become a Blackhawk pilot. I mean, I just was telling everyone, and eventually I was meeting commanders of aviation units and state aviation officers who could put me in these positions again. And as a first lieutenant, I got selected to go to flight school. Last. That's right, last. That's what's crazy to me. Even with being selected last, I said I'm still meant to go. Have you been selected last at some things lately? Do you feel like you're behind? Because see, the second lieutenants or the cadets who are about to become second lieutenants got the seats before me. 
But here's what's so cool. This is, this is what I believe. I'm a man of faith. I believe that God set me up for an amazing moment, but I couldn't have it before I met my wife. See, before I was able to beat in that door to go fly, I had to meet Jess. I had to meet my wife now of eight years. Right? It's just amazing because I met her at Penn State. And then college ends. And I meet her again in D.C. After not getting my dreams, not becoming a pilot, I get introduced again to now my wife. Someone wanted me to meet these girls that he met, and she was in the group. And I went from being someone who was, you know, just ready to deploy at any cost, sacrifice my life. I mean, it doesn't matter, right? And I get it. A lot of us still think that way. But there's something different about when it's only you. Now, I want to pause because is it possible you've been thinking of only you again? Because you really do have a family that needs you. You really do have a spouse that's looking to you as an example. But so often we think we're being selfless by sacrificing them. And that is the most selfish thing we can do. So I meet Jess and man, love at first sight, right? It was just unbelievable. We had a month together. I went off into military police school after that for five months. I'm in MP school and we're just building a distance relationship. And right after that, moving in together, I'm proposing and we are engaged, about to be married within a year. I mean, hey, decisiveness, right? It's a common trait of the military. And thank God my my wife was the same way. So we just knew, hey, we're meant to be together. So um, after getting married, I get the phone call. Hey, are you sitting down right now? So I'm actually driving from, uh, from work right now. He said, all right, well, you want me to call back later? The state aviation officer was calling me directly. A colonel was calling me as just a first lieutenant. And he said, hey, Lieutenant Jones, we have a slot for you. It just opened up. Could you take it? I said, yeah, for flight school, absolutely. Now, remember, I'm on last on the list. I got accepted, but I'm last on the list. I'm not supposed to go for years based on the normal setup, based on the normal trend of how many slots will become available. But guess what? None of them could take the slot. So I get a phone call a month after getting married to Jess. We got a slot that opened up. It starts in four days. Can you take it? It's so crazy because I said yes. I said, hang on, let me talk to my wife. But yeah, we're totally going to make this happen. So I go home. I talk to Jess. I said, hey, um, you know how like we really were on track to go to flight school and all that? She's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I said, well, um, we got accepted and we're going to go to flight school here pretty soon. I said, uh, she's like, that's awesome. Like, I can't wait, you know, because she's going to move with me, right? We're going to go live this life together. And she said, when's the slot? I said, we have to leave in two days. It starts in four days. We had to leave all of our furniture. Like this is the military life, okay? If you're an employer, listen closely. This is how your person is used to thinking, all right? 
This is how your employee is used to thinking. All in. I'm going to leave my life in two days, start a new one, leave all my furniture, and wait for a moving truck to show up in the next month and a half. And for right now, we're just going to go live on a base with no furniture. We'll go buy some lawn chairs. We'll buy an air mattress. We'll take our dog of one month, and, or maybe two months, and then let's go. That is what we did. And I met some amazing people in flight school. You know, I really got to see some uh, awesome <laughs> opportunities to my marriage that were so rare for most people. I mean, a month into being married, we are just living on the edge, living in Alabama, and my wife prioritized her life around mine. So listen closely if you're a spouse. Jess knew this is Adam's dream. My dream was more convicting and also more structured, more spur of the moment if it's offered, go, because it's not going to come again. It was that type of dream. But there is a difference from my dream and my family's dream. When I got back from flight school and we moved to Colorado, there was some really interesting things. And one was I had this unit that just got back from deployment. They were on fire, right? They were so excited. They just got back from a great deployment. But that meant something for me. It meant my deployment isn't coming up anytime soon because I'm in this unit. This unit just got back. Also, right before flight school, there was a deployment coming up that got canceled. So now twice I'm missing the opportunities to really go use my experience, to go get tested. And as exciting as it might be for other people to be home, you know, I just wanted to be gone. I wanted to go deploy. I wanted to experience this life. Um, long story short, it never happened. This was one of those things where I was plagued with regret. I believe all protectors have an area that they're plagued with regret. Something, a title they didn't achieve, you know, a rank they never held. A part-time versus a full-time. A staying back in the United States compared to a combat deployment. I mean, you name it. There's something. And with that, I didn't feel that plague until I took off the uniform. See, these were things that started to show up once I made the decision to leave the service. So for me, I'm in this moment where I felt excited everyone came home, but also, well, I'm not going to be coming off on a deployment anytime soon then. And as I shared with you, I didn't. You know, after just about 10 years of service, I never had a deployment. I got to do some really cool things and definitely some things that most people never get to do. You know, there was a moment where even as a consultant, I was working with headquarters space command, building up concepts and strategies for them. I mean, unbelievable stuff, but still that regret started to build over time. No flight is ever the same because the conditions constantly change. You change the way you're positioned in the aircraft changes, the way your seat is set up, everything changes. The flight plan, the weather, the people, the loadout, it's always going to be different. You never get the same flight again. It was one of the most exciting things about it. 
But I remember this one flight where I was trying to hold a hover as a medic was coming out of the aircraft, right? We're, we're, we're holding a high hover. I think it was about 50 feet or so. Dropping a medic down. And the crew chief is saying, hey, sir, you're drifting to the left. And now I'm in a pretty challenging moment, surrounded by a lot of vegetation, um, the concealment of trees, all this type of stuff. It was very stressful. Also, let me add one other feature. We were under night vision goggles. So you're trying to fly an aircraft with night vision goggles and hold it in a, in a position, hold it in a place. It doesn't do that by itself. You have to do it, okay? At least for my aircraft, that was the case. I didn't have an autopilot type of aircraft. We had one of the older models. And the crew chief goes, you're drifting. And I try to explain to him why I'm drifting. My scan, I'm tired, it's late, right? And I'm summarizing it for you. But at the end of the day, I justified my reason for a drift. And for you, is it possible that you are drifting, but you've been justifying it? Because see, one of the first steps my crew chief taught me, he said, sir, I don't care why you're drifting. Just fix it. Just, just fix the drift, man. Correct the drift. I said, okay. He's right. And I remembered the steps of what to do when we're drifting. The first thing is to acknowledge that you're drifting. That's what I want to share with you today. We must acknowledge our drift. There's nothing more important than actually saying, I am drifting, than having someone call it out for you and then saying, I agree with you, I'm drifting. I'm drifting in my marriage. You know, we were once a unified team and now we're opposing forces, it feels like. I'm drifting in my fitness. I used to be very athletic. You know, I used to be crushing it on a PT test. And now that I'm out, this gut just keeps staring back at me. My body's starting to hurt because I'm allowing it to because I'm drifting. We must acknowledge the drift. You know, in a blue sky strategy, this is a strategy that I created to help in this situation, to help protectors be able to transition as fathers, husbands, leaders, parents, right? To actually focus on the heart, the home, and then the workplace. But one thing we teach is correct the drift, but you can't correct it. You can't do a drift correction. All right. This is in the specialization of command presence, by the way. But you cannot correct it until you acknowledge it. Today, I want you to acknowledge your drift. There's nothing more important than this moment. You've been listening to my story, but it's to get you to this place. That when we took off the uniform, we lost much more than just an organization or a job. We lost access. So see, when the crew chief said, sir, you're drifting, my job was to say, Roger, correcting drift. And you can't drift if you don't have a place you want to stay. So some of us are drifting, and it's not even a drift because you're just going through the motions, allowing anything to take you. You don't have a spot. You don't have a standard. You know, Ed Milet, he says, you don't get your goals, you get your standards. So same thing here. What's your standard? See, all of that, I hope will help you see a progression of this extreme culture. Extreme things we get to do at such a young age. You know, 26 years old, leading soldiers. 
flying aircraft by myself with just the other pilot. This is the type of stuff that your protectors are used to doing. And then you put them in the corporate place. You put them in a workplace. You put them in a new job. And you don't give them real authority. You don't even give them real responsibility. See, when we're doing that, we are disempowering those who were once empowered. You're losing the advantage. You're losing the opportunity right in front of you that you have disciplined men and women who want the real thing. They want what's real. They want you to really believe in their mission, in, in your mission. They want you to really believe in your values. They want to see a team that will really fight for each other. They want what the CEO wants, I bet you. But if we are not addressing these issues and we're not leveraging their experiences, then we are missing out as a society. The 1% of people who are trained in this need to learn how to connect with the 99%. That's what we do with the Blue Sky Strategy. Now, I didn't have that at first. Because see, you can listen to some other episodes and you'll start to learn a little bit about all that happened to me. But I'm going to give you a quick crash course on what it was like to take off the uniform. At first, I was excited. I was filled with endorphins. Man, freedom is here. I get to experience it. But I didn't. I didn't experience it. I was trapped in my own thoughts. I was trapped in transition. You know, I was in a cycle of um, real comparison to other people. So many things were happening to me that I didn't really understand at first. Because, see, the endorphins were so high. The excitement was so high. Before I knew it, I didn't fit into society. I didn't fit in as an employee. I, I hated my job. Not because my job sucked, but because I was so used to a certain culture. I was so used to a high-stakes environment. I was used to being around people who were really all in. And when I started to see such low levels of energy, <laughs> of you know, complacency, it affected me. And then it started to really affect the home as well. I, didn't, I wasn't happy with how, how things were going in my job, so then I wasn't really that positive around my wife. I started to, to work on building a business to help other people in, in the coaching and leadership space, and I wasn't bringing out my best. I was giving my family my leftovers. I would find myself constantly bickering, pointing out what was wrong, not realizing that as protectors, we were taught to see things this way. You know, I remember hearing this quote, about helicopter pilots compared to um, fixed-wing airplanes, right? Basically how a lot of fixed-wing pilots, the personality traits, they're you know, really uh, open-eyed and looking forward to what's next and optimistic, but then a helicopter pilot is always looking for what was going to break next, you know? Was was because a helicopter is not really a stable machine, you know, to to the extent. A lot of maintenance required. Really shouldn't be flying if you look at the theories of flight, but for some reason it flies. So we're always looking at what's going to break, what's going to go wrong. That starts to see the change the way you see your own family. The military is no different though, and being a first responder is no different. Always seeing the bad, the negative, being trained to watch for it and to fix it. Well, then what does that look like in the home when you're no longer expressing it in the workplace? 
Are we seeing what your wife is doing wrong? Are we seeing what your kids aren't doing right? Seeing things in yourself that you're just disgusted in and you're hiding and you start to isolate. You know, I felt so stressed, so much pressure on me that only I was adding to have a success. You know, to actually see a better day in my future because I had such a cool past. You know, also I was referring to myself by prior labels. I was a Blackhawk pilot. I was a commander. I used to do this. See, because that was the that was the highlight. I didn't know what was coming next. And for most people in this background, you might not know yet either. Nothing's more important though than you actually seeing the drift and acknowledging it than someone calling it out and you acknowledging it and saying, yeah, I'm drifting. We'll teach you the rest. But you got to start there. You know, I was really afraid to just be Adam, to no longer be Captain Jones, to no longer be a commander. I mean, you name it. This is the challenge. The drift starts, but destruction is what's coming next. You know, we drift, and drift is natural, by the way. Everyone drifts. Whether you're a veteran or not, you drift. You know it, and that's okay. Because it's natural. You don't need to justify it. We need to acknowledge it and then start the next steps to get back into place. But see, the drift, if it's not acknowledged and it's not corrected, over time will lead to destruction. You know, on average, we see 22 suicides a day from people who fall into this culture. I don't believe it's because they saw combat. Because see, I didn't. I believe it's because we were structured. We had a service we were used to being in. We had a culture, a lifestyle. We had access and it was gone. And we didn't realize the consequences of these decisions at the time. And at the end of the day, it has to end regardless. You can't stay in. You can't get back in forever. One day you have to learn how to really be you. We have to learn our identity we have to develop a command presence that's actually attractive to other people that doesn't require the uniform. And we have to learn how to see things that others don't see and develop situational awareness. We have to see our coworkers no longer as opponents because maybe they don't really seem to be committed to a mission. Instead, we have to see how can we connect. And we need mission readiness. We need to train and train and train because see, five days of a transition program, which is what we normally see for veterans, is not enough. You know, you join up when you're 18 years old, you get out when you're, let's say, 30, 40 years old, and you think five days of training will be enough? It's not. But without a plan to follow, man, I find that protectors perish. Maybe that's just in their heart. Maybe it's just in their head. Maybe it's a divorce. It's, it's a relationship with their kids. But we need plans. We crave it. We crave structure. I craved structure and I didn't have it. You know, I craved a progression. What's next? What's coming next? I thought by being more available as a husband and a father, it would mean I'd be more present. But I wasn't taught presence. I had to learn these things. I had to receive a new family. 
new people in my life, just like the military, where they surrounded me and family and said, you belong. But see, there's a key thing. And I wasn't sure how much I was going to share today. And if you're still listening, then I believe you need to hear this. But in the service, our belonging came from our performing. If you performed, you belonged. If you didn't, well, you didn't. I mean, it makes sense. You're in a high-risk environment, high stakes. You know, the mission really mattered. If you can't keep the standard, then we got to cut you. And being cut wasn't just, I didn't belong to an organization. It was, again, a community, access, progression, a rank, a, a uniform. There's complexities to this. But now take that mindset and see yourself in this civilian space where you feel that you're not performing so you don't belong. It's a tragedy. It is a tragedy that you feel you don't belong because you're not performing because, see, that was just because of the environment we were in. You might not be performing in the home. It doesn't mean you don't belong. Yeah, there might be some things we need to train on, but your performance doesn't determine your value. You are valuable because you are here. You are valuable because you are alive. You are valuable because of who you are, not because of what you do. You know, as a man of faith, we see an example from God where he says, I am and I am. In other words, you can use this today for your own life. I am because I am. And out of that, I'll operate. When I know who I am, I know what I can do, but the doing doesn't define. See, all of this, I had to learn the hard way. I had to learn through the hard conversations with my wife, through the, the disconnection with my daughter, you know, through acting out. I'm not a map maker. I'm a traveler, just like you. I'm on this journey with you. Sure, there might be some steps that I can show you that are coming up next. But I believe this is a consistent fight, a fight for your life, a fight for purpose, for destiny. It doesn't stop when you get out of the service. It just becomes more revealing. You know, I have this image, all right, for any of my Black Panther fans or Avengers, right? There was this force field around Wakanda that, that protected the country, you know, protected that group. Now, I see the same thing for all of us. When we're in, we're surrounded by this force field. There might be bad things coming and we might be fighting together, but at least we have that community. At least, you know, there's a culture protecting us that's saying, it's okay, this is normal. It's normal to be angry. It's normal to feel irritated with people. It's normal, you know, to feel like you're not doing well in the home. It, honestly, this is normal. You see this stuff in the military all the time. But now that you're out, you don't have people to talk to about that. And now you're alone. And that is when we get attacked the worst. That is when the drift leads to destruction. A destruction that comes from what I believe are called weapons of mass deception. This is a, a term I landed on. Where these weapons have targeted you and they've caused you to feel this pain. But we can help you. That's why we've done what we've done. 
That's why I've teamed up with other protectors. You know, to create different pieces depending on where you are in your life. Most importantly, to help organizations that have this demographic and that you're ready to serve them. You know, you're ready to join forces and to make them into the best stage of who they can become. You know, the better leader, the better husband, the better father, the better parent. Man, that person. If you're committed to that, first I just want to say I honor you and I thank you for being that person, being that leader, being that spouse who's saying, I know there's greatness inside. There's just a drift we need to acknowledge. There's destruction that, that really has to be looked into. There's steps we need to follow. There's a plan that we need, but look, we can do this together. If that's you, thank you. Honestly. See, I was totally lost. My wife didn't give up on me. We had some really hard conversations. She said, something needs to change. And it's got to be you. I had to be the one to change. Over time, this changed how other people interacted with me as well. But I had to be the one. We have to be the one to take the first step. Okay? So I created a strategy. I've talked to you about it called the Blue Sky Strategy. This is the plan that I needed when I was going through the pain. This is the plan I still need today. But I needed it even more then. It's a plan I needed to follow, a progression, a way to find identity, belonging, and purpose again without the uniform to where it not only affected me, but my home. This is what I needed. I learned it the hard way. Man, I learned it through investing thousands of dollars in, into coaching and to other people. I learned it through traveling. I learned it through other people and community. I learned it by asking the hard questions. I learned it by being on the bathroom floor covered in tears. You know, I learned it by walking out of my house one day, not knowing if I was going to return and when or why. I learned it by almost losing my job. You can learn it by simply receiving it and following it. Our protectors matter. This is a stage in life where we really need to do our best job at positioning them for great purpose. Because there's so much inside of them already. There's so much they've already been trained with and experienced in. Don't let them drift anymore. Don't let them fall in through you know, the motions, drifting through the motions, feeling like they don't belong. Partner with them. Partner with the protectors. Connect with them. Learn that they see the negative so they can help you make things better. You know, learn that they're used to operating with high levels of responsibility and authority. And you can give it to them. You know, learn that they can help you create a mission that really matters and to be authentic to it. This is my challenge to you all today. If you're a protector, become more than that. Become someone, become a KO. Become someone who operates with this confidence who contributes to making a better world around him, who has a home that he is proud of, who has a life that she, that she sees purpose in. Become the person 
who creates the change that you want to see in the world. Learn how to connect again. Your best days are not behind you. They are ahead of you. I'm confident in it. You just need to train. I needed to train. I still do. I'll remind you again, I'm not a map maker. I'm not giving you a map of something that I want you to go do that I haven't done. I'm a traveler. I'm with you on this. You know, John Maxwell talks about there are tour guides and travel agents. Travel agents send people to places they've never been. Tour guides say, hey, come with me. I've been here before. Let me show you what's going on. Let me experience it with you. That's what I want to be for you. My name is Adam Jones. I was trapped in transition, but I found a way out. I found a way to discover the best version of myself. My wife will tell you today that she thanks everyone who made it possible. You know, my daughters, they have a father who really wants to be there, who's present. Yeah, who still struggles, who still drifts, who still has things he has to overcome, but who has a plan he can follow. It's an honor to speak to you today. It's an honor to be able to serve you through this story. I really do pray that it, it brings some light to this situation. It doesn't need to end here. You know, start by following me here on Instagram at Lead with Adam. You know, reach out if you want to bring in our services, if you want to see what this strategy can do for you. Go ahead and shoot me an email at admin at kingdomoperatives.com. Man, I really hope you'll see the opportunity in your future. Now, if you're an employer, it's time to get your team trained. It's time to connect your veterans. If you don't have a community yet, then we need to create one for them right now. They need it. And if you do have one, then let's go to the next level. And if you're a spouse, thank you for staying steady. Thank you for changing and growing with your protector. Help them be able to see who they were when you married them. When you chose them, remind them of that person. That person's not gone. They're just drifting. I thank you all so much for your time. Now more than ever, the mission matters. We have to join together to create the better world that we served. That we served our nation for. We served our community for. The service doesn't end yet. It continues. Your best days are your next days. But remember, whether you're on the high or the low, you're on the top of the mountain and you're at a summit, or you're in the bottom and you're in the valley, no matter what, I need you. Our nation needs you. Your family needs you to continue mission.